You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So this is my old computer right here, and I had this for many years, and eventually one day as I opened it and went to use it like normal, the screen looked like this. And so I was like, that is not good. I charged it, it still looked like this. And so I noticed if I began to kind of tilt it, it would click back on, right? And so I was, you'd find me in the office kind of with it tilted like this and I'd be kind of working like that. And the longer time went on, the, clo- like the closer I had to close it so that I could get it to work. And then it was so weird because then I would just randomly go like this and it would stay good. And then about five minutes later, it would flicker off again. And so I'm constantly kind of playing with this thing and eventually it got to the point the guys would come into the office and I would be like having random objects in the air trying to catch waves so that the, you know like whatever I had to do to make this thing actually stay on and uh, the Apple store said something got spilled all over the keyboard at some point and that was the problem and what else was interesting about this is that the up key didn't work like and I tried to fix it I took it out I followed the little YouTube stuff and I just couldn't get it working and so after about a year, okay, of trying to make this thing work, a year of opening and closing and propping it and doing all these different things. Eventually, we replaced it, but I noticed something. I noticed that on the perfectly brand new, good, wonderful MacBook Pro that I had, I still was doing sometimes the same things I would do the old with the old computer out of habit. I would still kind of prop it, and I would close it real carefully, and I still to this day, I'm probably uh, over a year now, I've had the newer computer, still to this day, I, I tend to not use the up key on the new computer, and sometimes in life, we have to unlearn some stuff, don't we? I had been conditioned by that old broken computer, and I was doing things on the new computer in accordance with the old computer and the way things used to work. And in life, everybody, right, and in our relationship with God, We have to unlearn some stuff sometimes, don't we? There are things that we did in the past, and there are things that used to we thought worked, but maybe didn't work, and we're unlearning while like that never worked, and and we're learning how to not use the 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 screen like that anymore, and we're learning oh we can use the up key now, right? And today we're going to talk about some things that we maybe need to unlearn, and replace them with something new and better. And maybe you're here today, and you grew up in a religious home or a religious church. Um, Maybe you're here today going, I didn't even go to church. It's my first day in church. I think there's some stuff we can all unlearn and really replace it with some wonderful new things. The book of Acts is going to take us to those places today, and so that's how we're going to go there. This is Acts part 17, and we're going to ask some really important questions today. The first one is this. Why do we continue on? even when we can't catch a break. Anybody there right now? This is a little bit of a theme. Somebody raise their hand. All right, somebody's honest in church today. Uh, Sometimes it feels like we just can't catch a break. And this has been a little bit of a theme in these last several chapters of the book of Acts. It just feels like thing after thing. It feels like things keep piling on. I'm going through disappointment and then following God is really hard. And then it feels like I lose somebody and then I'm struggling in my finances. It's just like I cannot catch a break. Why continue on? We're going to see why today. Question number two, where do good deeds get us in our standing before God? This is something I think a lot of us need to unlearn. Even those of us who've been coming to church for a really long time and would say, I have a relationship with Jesus, I think sometimes we still think that our good deeds do something, right? And listen, good deeds done 
to honor Jesus in a relationship with him are important and good and worthwhile and wonderful if it's to say, Lord, I love you and I am grateful for you. And like I wanna bless my wife by the way that I honor her in my actions, right? I wanna bless the Lord, right? But, but it's not an, an earning, okay? So we're gonna talk about that. There's some things we still need to unlearn. Even those of us who've been followers of Jesus, some of us still aren't hitting the up key. You know what I mean? Question number three, don't our bad deeds make it impossible to have a relationship with God. Some of you are, are brand new to all this, and you're going, all right, you don't want me, right? The joke is always, oh, I can't come to church because the church will catch on fire as soon as I walk in, right? Like, people think that way, you know? And that's because we think our bad deeds keep us from a relationship with God. And we're gonna talk about that today. Again, even some of us who've been saved for a long time, maybe we struggle with this more than we realize. Maybe there are things and regrets that we still wake up in the middle of the night going, oh my gosh, why did I do that? And how could I allow that? And we torture ourselves over these things. And so we're going to talk about that. Question number four, why should I not not fight God? Don't raise your hand on this one, but anybody in the room fighting God right now? Yeah, how's that going? How's that going? Oh, amen. He is. He's honest in church also. I love it. How can we be saved? Question number five. We're going to see that clearly today. Maybe you woke up today going, I don't know how to be saved, or I think I know how to be saved. I hope I'm doing it right. We're going to see today how we can be saved. And lastly, question six, why would we believe Jesus is alive? Have you ever met somebody who believed Jesus was alive, and you're like, why do you believe this? Like, really? You believe someone came back from the dead? Or maybe you're in the room going, oh, I do believe Jesus is alive, but honestly, I've been struggling with that a little bit lately. You know, it happened a long time ago. Maybe it didn't happen. Or I've been walking through some pain. And if Jesus is really alive, why would he allow me to walk through this pain? We're going to talk today about why we should believe that Jesus is alive. Important, important stuff. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching online or here in the room, this is an amazing day for you to be here because I think maybe some of your questions about Jesus will be answered today. And you might even leave wanting a relationship with him or having a relationship with him. So let's jump in. Here we go. Acts 25. Last week we left with Paul waiting in prison for two years so he could defend himself before his accusers. Verse 1 says, Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. Remember, Festus is the guy who took over for Felix. Felix has already questioned Paul up and down, but he left him in prison, even though he didn't think he'd done anything worthy of all the, the, the mess that the accusers are bringing against him for Uh, really as a favor to Festus. Verse three, they requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. Listen, last line here, for they were preparing an ambush. Everybody say ambush. They're preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. If you were in church last week, you're like, wait, didn't they do that last week? Yeah, this is a new one, right? This is another ambush. They tried this last week. It didn't work. I mean, they didn't really try it last week, but in the verses we looked at last week, it didn't work. And here they are now. They want to ambush Paul again. Have you ever felt like you can't catch a break? Paul survives last week's ambush. Remember that? It was that scene out of like Gladiator, basically, where they bring all these horsemen and soldiers and they protect him on his journey. And now again, they want to ambush him. Does they ever feel like you can't catch a break? Paul's been in prison. He's been lied about, falsely accused. He's been beaten. You ever feel like you can't catch a break? Why continue on when you can't catch a break? Have you in those last few months said the words out loud, I just can't catch a break? Or have you said it never stops? Have you said it never ends? Have you, ever, have you said recently it's just one thing after another, right? Why do we continue on? I'll be honest, sometimes life's painful. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I, in the last two months, have probably uttered some form of those words out loud. 
Acts 25, 4. Festus answered, Paul's being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me. And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him. The next two verses tell us that over a week later, Paul's finally called in, and they bring the charges against Paul, but couldn't prove them. And then Paul says this in verse 8. It says, then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Let me summarize the next couple of verses. Festus then asks him if he's willing to stand trial in Jerusalem. And this is really important. You ready? Paul then says, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Okay. Do you remember in Pirates of the Caribbean when they used to call Parlay? You guys know that movie? Okay. And, you know, Johnny Depp's about to be, you know, executed or walked off a plank or whatever it might be. And he would call parlay, which means you have to take me to the uh, captain. I have to see your captain. Now you can't, uh, you know, throw me off the plank. You can't execute me or do anything to me. I've called parlay. I'm going. Paul basically called parlay here. Okay. He goes, I want to stand trial before Caesar, right? Every Roman citizen had the right to call this if they thought that they were going to be um, falsely accused or, or if they were going to suffer some type of violence or even execution, they could say, I appeal to Caesar. Now, I'm not making this next part up. This is history. The only people who couldn't call, I appeal to Caesar, were thieves, bandits, and pirates, which is why they probably came up with parlay, right? And so Festus says, Paul will go to Caesar. So he's going to go stand trial before Caesar. Why continue on when you can't catch a break? We'll see that soon. Verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. And he said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And in the next few verses, he goes on to explain the whole situation. And then listen to how Festus describes this little detail to Paul, because it's huge. It's where we get our answer, why we keep on going, even when we can't catch a break. Verse 18, when his accusers got up to speak, this is Festus now explaining to King Agrippa about Paul. His accusers got up to speak. They did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion. You ready? This last line is everything. You ready? And about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. Festus, Paul's potential enemy, right? The one who has kept him locked up in prison has realized something. This whole matter with Paul is about this dead man named Jesus who Paul claims is alive. Why did Paul keep going when he couldn't catch a break? Why? Paul, shut up. Paul, stop saying Jesus is alive. That would take away all your problems. If you'd just be quiet about them, they'd let you go. The Jews would be satisfied. The Romans would let you go. It's all about this dead man. Why keep talking about him? And that's just it. Paul's going, but he's not dead. He's not dead. Why do I keep going even though I can't catch a break? Why do I keep going from ship to ship and prison cell to prison cell? Because this Jesus isn't dead. I keep going because Jesus is alive. I keep going because this man, Jesus, isn't just a man. He is God raised back from the dead. And that is why Paul continued to go. And this should greatly encourage and challenge you and I. Has everything fallen apart recently? Why keep going? 
Because Jesus is alive, our living hope, right? Raised from the dead. But the debts keep piling up. But I lost that loved one. But my family member's still angry at me. But I lost my job. But, but, but we're going to keep going because man named Jesus, who is God in the flesh, raised back from the dead. Amen? So we keep going. Festus then tells Agrippa that he was sending Paul to Caesar. And maybe some of you guys are here going, Doug, that's a wonderful little churchy answer. Keep going because Jesus is alive. But how do I know he's actually alive? We're going to get there, aren't we? That's question number six today. Why believe in Jesus? Why believe he's actually back from the dead? Because that changes everything if he really is. Verse 22, then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you'll hear him. And then in the next few verses, Festus introduces Paul and hands him over to Agrippa. And here we go. Verse 1, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. Over the next few verses, he introduces his defense. And then he says this in verse 4, the Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they've known me for a long time and can testify. Listen, he's talking all about his good deeds here, isn't he? They can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion living as a Pharisee. Paul is going, I tried the performance thing. So question number one, why keep going when we can't catch a break? Because Jesus is alive. Question number two, man, what do our good deeds do for us? What do our good deeds do in, in our standing before God? Where do they get us? Paul's going, I did the performance thing. I was in the most strictest division of religion. I was a Pharisee. Paul's going, I tried that, and our deeds don't get us anywhere. A lot of us on Long Island grew up in religious backgrounds, and we were told it was all about our deeds. If you do the right things, and you say the right things, and you look at the right things, and don't look at the wrong things, and don't say the wrong things, right? That's what is everything. Now listen, I said earlier, if you want to honor Jesus with your life, that's a beautiful thing, right? We worship God when we sing together here in church, but we worship God with our lifestyle when we walk out the door all week. And that's an important part of our faith, but it's not what saves us. It's a response to being saved, right? And our deeds don't get us anywhere before God. I've been reading a biography about <clears throat> Tim Keller. He recently passed, amazing pastor from New York City. Um, a, amazing gift to the church. This guy just had a way about him. He could take super complex topics from brilliant writers and from the Bible and just communicate it in a way that anybody can understand it. Recently, I was listening to some of his messages and I'm like, I just need to stop preaching and just play messages that Tim Keller preached in the past. And I'll just stand on stage and go, oh, that was a great point. Oh, that was really good. That, wow, that was awesome. Like, like actually, he spoke at a, a pastor's conference whole bunch of pastors in the room, and all these pastors are speaking up on the stage, and, and he's scheduled to preach, so he preaches this incredible message, and the pastor after him, as he's about to intro his message, who was a great preacher, by the way, thanked the scheduling committee for the conference for putting him after Tim Keller, like very sarcastic, like thanks so much, I get to go after Keller, right? Keller had a way about him, but he wasn't always a Christian. He wrestled deeply with struggles and questions about God. He'd been a student of many religions and was searching for the truth. And I want you to read with me what happened one day in his life. It says, his wrestling was over. Tim had repented of his sin and believed in Jesus. He had put his heart's faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. So what happened? Why did he change? His intellectual concerns about evil, suffering, and judgment didn't suddenly disappear. Let's just pause there. 
Some of you, that's why you are opposed to God today, because there's suffering and there's pain in this world. And Tim Keller is like a New York Times best-selling author, brilliant guy. And his, his struggles with those weights and pains we feel didn't just disappear, it says. It says, but after looking for answers in other religions and after debating with Christians, Tim finally came to experience his personal, everybody say personal, his personal need for God. It wasn't a new method of spiritual enlightenment. Instead, he finally reached the end of himself. Anybody there? Overwhelmed by his sin, face to face with his failures and flaws, Tim found the God of love who revealed himself in Jesus Christ and his word. No longer would he presume to judge God. Some of us are doing that, by the way, right now. We're judging God. God, how dare you this? How dare you that, right? We're sitting in that seat of judgment against him. Now he would follow the God who is just and at the same time is the one who justifies sinners. The just one had forgiven his sin. I love this last line. The student of religion had become the disciple of Jesus. And just a few months ago, Tim Keller stood before Jesus. And you know what? It wasn't his brilliant theology that got him there. It wasn't his incredible intellect and his tremendous giftedness. It wasn't even the great things he did for New York City. I mean, he is known as like one of the pastors to New York City and the herd, not like a rock star guy who would show up in a limo with all the celebrities. No, he was in the trenches on the sidewalk with the herding and the homeless. But it wasn't even that that got him there. Jesus alone saved Tim Keller. And Jesus alone saves you and saves me. Let's keep going. Paul says, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors. Remember, Paul's a good Jewish boy, right? He grew up a good Jewish boy. And so he's thinking back to his Jewish heritage. He's saying, what God promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. He says, King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Now, this is really important. If you were raised Jewish here today, okay, or watching online and you're, you're trying to figure out why I believe in Jesus, or maybe you're even from another religion, like what's with this Jesus guy, specifically Jews, though? This is really important. Tom Constable says, Paul said that it was because, everybody say because, it was because of his Jewish heritage, not in spite of it, that he believed and preached what he did. The Jewish hope finds fulfillment in the Christian gospel. This is so powerful. Paul is saying, because I grew up Jewish and I know the Old Testament so well, that's why I believe in Jesus. Because the Old Testament is full of pictures of what Jesus was going to come and do. He's not saying it's because I grew up Jewish that I, I struggled with this. He's saying it's actually because of my Jewishness that I see my need for a Savior because the prophets said Jesus would come and do these powerful things. Verse 8, he says, Why should any of you consider incredible that God raises the dead? Is this not a wonderful question? He's going, why would you, like he's saying to his Jewish brothers in the room, why would you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Of course he raises the dead. We know a supernatural, amazing God, right? I mean, the Jews believe God created all things. The Jews believed that, that uh, God sent the plagues to Egypt to deliver them and set a part of the Red Sea and that, that God shut the mouth of a lion and God gave a young man named David the ability to take down a Goliath, right? And I mean, they believed in, in a huge God. Why would it be out of character to raise the dead? Raise Jesus back to life. A few weeks ago, my family was on vacation. And when I go on vacation, I try to be really present with my family, okay? So I download this texting app from my phone, 
And this way I can text with my family without always checking all my other texts. I'll still jump on my other texts, make sure it's not some tragedy I miss or something that is really, you know, just difficult going on in one of your guys' lives. Make sure you get the care that you need and you're able to connect with the right people and all that. I'll still check that once in a while on the trip, but, but I really try to stay off it as much as I can, just text with my family. And so I text um, my, my kids and my wife and I just said, uh, hey, it's vacation, Doug, you know, from that number. And I got back and heard from them all, I got it, got it, got it, except for my daughter. My daughter, Bryn, I didn't hear back from. And the number that I text wrote back, um, I am sorry, wrong number. And I just wrote, ha ha. And then came back again, um, I don't know any Doug. And I was like, ha ha, you know, that's real funny, Bryn. And then I get this text. Everybody check this picture out. It's going to come up on the screens here. It says, have a blessed vacation, Doug. And I got so embarrassed. <laughs> and I go running into my daughter's room and I'm like, Bryn, I was like, you're not going to believe this. I just texted this guy, and I thought I was texting you. I'm so embarrassed. And I said, what's your phone number? And I said, I said the whole number. And she goes, oh, no, the last number was wrong. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I, I'm so stupid. And then she starts laughing. She goes, no, that was me, Dad. She goes, I Googled old guy taking selfie and sent this to you. And I'm like, why did I fall for that? There, there is no surprise my daughter Bryn would do this. That's her sense of humor. This is very within her character to pull off. And the same is true here. Paul's going, are you really having a hard time believing that Jesus raised, or God could raise Jesus from the dead? This is who he is. This is perfectly in line with his character. Verse 9. I love this. You ready? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose. Everybody say oppose. To oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul's going, I tried to fight him. I was convinced I was doing the right thing in fighting Jesus. Anybody there today? You just picked a fight with God? Yeah, maybe often I think it's out of our hurt that we do that. It's out of great loss. It's out of disappointment. But we just picked a fight. Or maybe some of us are like, I know what's true. I just want to do my own thing. And we're drowning the voice of God out. We know the truth. It kind of wakes us up during the night a little bit, doesn't it? But we just push it away and we shut it down. And we try to drown it out. Why should I not fight against God? Well, from what we've already seen in Paul's life, for starters, it doesn't work. And secondly, there's a better way. There's a better way. My buddy Mark Hoffelin is in the room somewhere here right now. Mark got baptized a few weeks ago up at our service at the new property. And I asked Mark if I could share his testimony. You know, many of you guys maybe couldn't make the service, or many of you guys go to a different service than he was baptized in. But here's what Mark said. I think it so perfectly illustrates exactly what we're talking about today. Let's not fight God. Let's surrender to him. Look at what Mark said. He said, my, my turning point moment came only so recently. This past winter was a dark time in my life. I was struggling to do well in school, struggling with the people around me, struggling with who I was, and I ended up in an emotionally volatile relationship, which compounded these by 10. I prayed and prayed for God to save the relationship, but God said no. I fought against all the signs and feelings he was trying to communicate to me, and when this relationship was pushed to the breaking point, I was at my wit's end. After some deep reflection and consolation, I ended up leaving this relationship. I specifically remember this moment that I'll never forget right after it happened. January 20th, the night LIRR train back home, I felt so broken, guilty, and tired. But I decided to play the song here again by Elevation Worship, and the opening lyrics go like this. Can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is a place where you promise to be. And when these lyrics hit me, a sudden rush of God's comfort, his love and peace was all I could feel. 
It's as if I'd been called back home into God's loving arms saying, welcome back, my child. Since then, my faith has grown a hundred times and I truly see the supernatural ways God's leading me. In such a conflicting time of my life and the world around us and within us, I know that God's way works. His timing never fails. His opportunities never fail. And his closed doors only lead to a better redirection because his love and his way works. And that's exactly what we find in the life of Paul. I was trying to fight him. And listen, it's not like we have some horrific person pursuing us, right? This is a loving God pursuing Paul, and Paul was fighting this loving God. And it goes on here, and we're going to see some of the ways here that Paul was fighting God. Verse 10, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. He says, I was fighting God. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Those are awful things Paul's done. Question four, don't our bad deeds make it impossible to have a relationship with God? Isn't it interesting? Just a few minutes ago, we were talking about Paul's good deeds and how his good deeds couldn't get us into a relationship with God, right? And now we're talking about his bad deeds. Here he was like uh, the most strict division of religion as a Pharisee. And now he's saying, and I was a mess. I was hunting people down based on their beliefs to kill them. And he goes, I had this whole horrific plan to take out anybody who spoke the name of Jesus. Are you seeing that our good deeds don't save us. But, but here's Paul in the worst of his bad deeds, and his bad deeds didn't rule him out from a relationship with Jesus. See, our good deeds make us think we don't need a Savior, and our bad deeds make us think we're not wanted by a Savior. But Paul was able to recognize that neither were the way. Neither were true. Are you here today thinking your good deeds have done it? You, you're, you're good with God? Man, you need a Savior. Are you here today going, there's no way God wants me. I've just done so much horrific, so many horrific things. No, there's an amazing Savior who wants you. In fact, let's think about this next part. We, we already saw this back in Acts 9, but Paul's going to retell his experience with Jesus here. And look at what it says in verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. So he's on his way to kill Christians, right? I'm on my way with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Think about it, okay? Paul is right in the middle of his badness right there. Paul wasn't like meditating on a mountainside when God came to him. He's in the middle of a journey to go kill more Christians. And Jesus shows up, and what does he say to him? Two things. He says, I want a relationship with you, and I'm going to use you to lead many to a relationship with me. I want a relationship with you, and I'm going to use you to lead many to a relationship with me. Right in the middle of his worst so if you're here today going, man, I'm just so not wanted by God. Well, even if you were on a journey to go murder people because of their belief system, we have a Savior that shows up right in the middle of that and goes, I want to know you, and I want to show you how I'm going to use you. Your bad deeds don't rule you out from a relationship with God. So if our goodness falls short and our badness doesn't rule us out, how can we be saved? Verse 17 
Jesus says to Paul, I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Everybody say open their eyes. And turn them from darkness. Everybody say turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you know what we see in that verse? We see several things that Jesus does for us to save us and only one thing that we do. Okay, so let me list for you the things in that verse that Jesus does to save us. He rescues us, he opens our eyes, he turns us from darkness to light, from Satan to God, he forgives our sin, and he sanctifies us, which means he makes us holy, right? There's only one thing that we do in that verse. We believe. We just believe. He said that we respond in faith, right? Jesus does all those things, we just simply believe in him. And that believing isn't us doing anything, right? It's just like, like I'm doing nothing to support my weight here on this stage. This stage is completely supporting me. It was built and put together wonderfully probably about 3,000 years ago. This is an old school. And it is perfectly supporting me. All I'm just simply doing is believing in it, right? And the same is true in our relationship with God. Why and how, rather, are we saved? It's all by the grace of Jesus. We just simply look to him. We stand, right? We stand on him. We stand in him. He comes into our lives and does wonderful things. The next few verses, Paul talks about some of the the groups he shared this message with and the Messiah dying and rising again. And he says, that's exactly what the prophet said would happen, right? And then our last question for the day. Some of you guys are like, great, Doug. You said I keep going because Jesus is alive. You said that I can not worry about my bad deeds because Jesus forgives me because he's alive and he wants me because he's alive and I can get saved because he's alive, but how do I know Jesus is alive? Why would I believe Jesus is alive? If anybody in the room is tuned out at this point in the message, we're 31 minutes, 13 seconds in, just tune back in for a minute. We're almost there. But listen to this. Why would we believe in Jesus? Why would we believe he's alive? Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. Some of you are like, Doug, you're out of your mind. This preacher guy, out of his mind. Any of these Christians in this room that believe in Jesus, out of their minds. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Ever say reasonable? Reasonable. Powerful, reasonable, right? Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Reason for God. Tim Keller is one of the most reasonable people you'd ever meet on planet Earth. And he had an amazing relationship with the Lord because this isn't just all some crazy science fiction fairy tale. It's reasonable when you really look into it. Verse 26, the king is familiar with all these things and I can speak freely to him. Ready for this? This is our clincher verse for the day. I'm convinced that none of this, none of these things about Jesus, he's saying, all the things that happened to Jesus, none of this has escaped his notice. Last line is so important. Because it was not done in a corner. You're like, really, Doug? That's your big clincher verse? It was not done in a corner. What wasn't done in a corner? Well, what does it mean that it was done in a corner? When you do something in a corner, why are you doing it in a corner? To hide it, right? If I want to hide from all you guys right now, I'll just run right back to that corner behind those curtains. No one's going to see me, right? But all this stuff was not done in a corner. We're talking history here. We're not even just talking the Bible now. We're talking secular history, right? You begin to look into Jesus, the historical Jesus, and you find that none of this stuff was done in a corner. 
The public crucifixion of Jesus, not done in a corner. The resurrection of Jesus, not done in a corner. Jesus spending time with people for 40 days after the resurrection, eating with people, making breakfast for people, embracing people, seeing, being seen by over 500 people at one time, not done in a corner. Paul goes, I know you know this, right? I know I can talk with you freely here, oh great king, because this stuff wasn't done behind the curtain somewhere. It was done very publicly. And one of the things that we've pointed out in the evidence series that we do, and if you haven't listened to that yet, I encourage you to check it out on our app or our website. It's a 10-part series we did talking about why we could believe in Jesus. We go into all kinds of stuff. It's over six and a half hours of content. If you're like, I don't have six and a half hours, there's a 45-minute summarized version. It's called The Evidence in One, and you can check that out. But one of the things we point out is that there is a huge difference between Jesus and Christianity and all other religions. Why? Because Everything was Jesus was done publicly, not in the corner. But then you start to look into other religions and it's like, wow, they hinge everything on something done in a corner. Like Muhammad was in a cave when he had a revelation by himself in a corner. Buddha was under a tree when he realized he was enlightened by himself done in a corner. Joseph Smith had his golden plates and a few friends that say they were eyewitnesses in a corner. And Jesus goes in the grave and publicly raises back from the dead. And then his followers go on to die saying they saw him alive. Not done in a corner. Why well, believe in Jesus? Because this was historically done on record in front of humanity. And you can know today that there's a risen Savior who loves you. Verse 27, as we just wrap up. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul... Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Maybe that's what you're saying here today. All right, Baldy, good try. You think just like that? No. Well, let's have coffee. Let's talk. Let's get together. Let's explore. Let's work through the hard questions. Let's work through it. Verse 29, Paul replied, short time or long, I love this, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Paul, what a heart Paul has. After all he's been through, he's going, my prayer Oh, King Agrippa, is that you'd be just like me minus the chains one day. You'd be like me, not a prisoner, but knowing Jesus. And we're going to wrap up with this. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Ends of chapter 25 and 26, and next Sunday... We will hit 27 and 28 and wrap up the series with the conclusion of Acts. But what have we seen today? Why do we continue on when we can't catch a break? Because Jesus is alive. That's why Paul kept going. Listen, everyone look at me real quick. That's why you and I keep going. Because our Savior's are alive. And as long as our Savior is alive, our hope can be alive. Where do good deeds get us in our standing before God? Nowhere. Do our bad deeds make it impossible to have a relationship with God? No, that's why Jesus came. If he didn't need to save us, he wouldn't have come. Why would he have come and suffered if we could somehow save ourselves or even half save ourselves? We completely need him. Why should I not fight against God? Because you won't win, and there's a better way. It's called God's way, a way that works. How can I be saved? It's all Jesus. He's the one who rescues us and turns us from darkness to light, from Satan to God, from, from impure to pure, and forgives our sin. And why would we believe Jesus is alive? Because this didn't happen in a corner. Many publicly 
saw. If we'll take this seriously today, we'll continue on, even when we can't catch a break because Jesus is alive. Knowing our good deeds don't save us and our bad deeds don't make it impossible to have a relationship with him. We won't be fighting God, but knowing he has a better way. Saved by believing in the amazing, powerful, life-changing work of Jesus and knowing he's alive because this stuff wasn't done in a corner. I hope you've unlearned some bad habits today. I hope there's some stuff you used to do to try to manipulate your, your relationship with God or you're standing before God and, and maybe today you've unlearned some stuff. Maybe today you'll say, I want the better way. I want the new way. Again, even for many of us Christians in the room that our faith will be just that much stronger. That when that thought hits us in the middle of the night that has just completely tormented us because of a great failing in our past, we would shut it down. And we would know that the Lord is walking with us. And we would know that there is hope because our Savior is alive. Because this stuff wasn't done in a corner. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him today. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that, as Paul said, this is reasonable. God, this is not superstition. This is not religion. This is history and its relationship. And it's forgiveness. And we're just so grateful, Lord. God, we pray for all the Christians in the room who have known you for a long time. And I just pray that, God, their dependency on you has increased in the last 40 minutes. That, God, their salvation is in their, even just in their own heart, they're, they're that much more convinced that they're really yours. That, Jesus, if they felt they can't catch a break, that, God, they will keep going you're alive. And that God will also, as Christians, take this. We'll, we'll bring it out to people who have great questions and be willing to have reasonable conversations over coffee about what wasn't done in a corner and what can change everything. God, that we would be that much more secure, more secure in you. Oh God, I pray for all of us in the room who are, are fighting you. Maybe we're fighting you because we're hurt. Maybe we're fighting you because we're just stubborn. Maybe we're fighting you because we just want to have some fun right now and your way seems boring. God, I just pray, God, you just squash all that by your spirit. You'd convince us, as again, Paul said, reasonably. That God, you'd touch both heart and mind today and that we'd surrender to you. Is there anybody in the room today who just needs to surrender something to God? Just do that now. You just take the, take the gloves off. God, I'm done fighting you. I'm done coming at you with these boxing gloves on, God, trying to show you. I'm done sitting in the judge's seat over you. Maybe some today in the room, like Tim Keller would say, I'm going to stop being the student of religion and become the disciple of Jesus. The follower. God, bring us into that personal relationship with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You could just say something like this. Jesus, Thank you so much for dying for me. My good deeds can't save me, and my bad deeds don't rule me out. Thank you that you want me right here, right here today, to be yours, to be saved and forgiven, to be loved and whole in you. Your way works. That is better than my way. So I ask you, Jesus, today to be my Savior, be my God, forgive me of my sins, and just continue to prove yourself to me and show me over and over again that you're with me. In your name I pray.